This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Three, two, one. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. The question is, from a shareholder and a business perspective, is it worthwhile to be able to make that investment today to avoid a catastrophic disruption in the future that may cost you way more than that insurance did. That's Bill Donahue of GenEdge Alliance talking about supply chain disruption during a recent WQA webinar. And welcome to WQA Radio, where we bring you news and insights about the water treatment industry and promote better water quality around the world. This is episode number 267. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Be sure to hit that subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss a show. That's the magic of podcasting. And be sure to share the podcast with someone on your team or a friend or associate. We're publishing this on May 18th of 2022. You can find us at wqa.org and on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And in this episode, we feature a portion of a recent WQA Government Affairs webinar on supply chain disruption, which we held during the recent WQA Congressional Fly-In. We'll hear from Bill Donahue, President, Executive Director of GenEdge Alliance, an organization that helps to solve the operational and business challenges facing Virginia companies. You can watch the entire webinar by going to wqa.org slash webinars. Bill references various slides in the presentation, but don't worry, you'll have a good sense of the information that he presents. Later, we'll have our Motivational Minute and our WQA tip. Now on to Bill Donahue on Supply Chain Disruption on WQA Radio. a trade peak that occurred pre-World War I, which actually never recovered until around 1975. A lot of people don't realize that, uh, you know, in the early 1910s, before World War II, global trade was really clipping along. Now, that trade was fundamentally in break bulk cargo. And what was being traded was raw materials and predominantly intermediate goods, and then some specialty items that really were focused on people who had means. The transition to finished goods and intermediate goods as being the bulk of what's transported really began in 1945, 1945 as the post-war rebound began to kick in. You can then see that in about 1980, there was a lot of liberalization of trade that was implemented from a policy basis. And that implementation of liberalization really was predominantly seen in the reduction of barriers to trade, which typically are tariffs. Now, 
since about uh, 28, 2008, when the Great Recession hit, things have slowed. And as things have slowed, um, uh, it really has taken basically about 10 years for things to begin to pick up again. So if we go to the next slide, what I'd like to do is kind of give you an idea of, of what the impact was on shipping costs, which really helped to move trade globalization along. Well, if you start at the Civil War, and if you think about the Civil War as a time of great trade, a lot of that trade was coming into the United States, uh, quite frankly, uh, to support the uh, Civil War effort. As things continued uh, through 1910, ships got bigger, uh, brake bulk got better, uh, but ultimately when World War I happened, what happened? Shipping costs went right through the roof. Then as we moved forward and went to a position of uh, the Great Depression, you can see that maritime shipping costs dropped like a rock. Well, on the prior slide, you also saw that volumes were going down. So that was a big volume swing. Didn't break out of that until World War II and the ensuing Cold War, when maritime shipping costs shot up again. And a lot of the reason for that was the fact that we had, you know, large percentages of our fleets were sunk. And as a result, trying to find uh, means to ship was a tremendous challenge for people uh, as a lot of the logistics were being uh, chewed up in a wartime effort. Oil disruption and the Great Recession were the other two large perturbations in what otherwise has been a very gradual but very progressive drop in shipping costs, which really has enabled us to build up uh, the supply chains that we're operating with today. On the next slide, we'll talk a little bit though about the fact that local and global disruptions, while they vary based on their severity, their frequency and their lead time, they occur all the time. Now the magnitude of the disruption, um, you know, the frequency and the ability to anticipate, um, well, you know, uh, I, I'm not really what I would call a gambling person, but the fact of the matter is these things do generally continually happen. So, if you look at this graphic uh, in terms of the magnitude of estimated costs of the shock, and by the way, this graphic that I pulled out for you was before the COVID was created before the COVID-19 pandemic by McKinsey. In the upper right-hand corner are two major events. The extreme pandemic, which we are still experiencing a global disruption from, a supervolcano. We have not had a supervolcano incident since about 130 years ago, but hey, that created a mini winter for two years across the globe. 
and then just a standard pandemic. And, and for us to say whether we're in an extreme pandemic or a pandemic, I, I really can't say. Oh, and then just below that is a global military conflict. And while we are not in a global military conflict at this time, we certainly are in a regional military conflict, which is having tremendous global implications. So as you look at this graphic here, whether it's terrorism, a human-made disaster, the impact of regulation, which is imposed by a government, or one thing that I think we're unfortunately more and more aware of, and unfortunately more and more becoming victims of, cyber attacks. The lesson here is that disruption happens all the time. You may be the next victim of an unforeseen event, especially if you have not planned for that event's possibility to occur. So let's go to the next slide. We're gonna talk a little bit about one of the ways that companies are beginning to very significantly address the supply chain issues that have resulted from COVID-19's impact on our supply chain uh, sources. And this is the concept of supply chain resiliency amid disruption. On the left-hand side, there's a nice art, uh, graphic that was put together by Michigan State University, which talks about this concept of resilience. Resilience is built on two pillars, uh, a resistance pillar and a recovery pillar. Resistance means that you have the opportunity to plan for and potentially avoid uh, the shock associated with the supply chain or to potentially contain that. Avoidance is really focused on having multiple sources of supply chain that potentially may have capacity that can be turned on when a major source of supply is disrupted. Containment is where you have an opportunity to potentially contain a supply chain uh, disruption to perhaps a particular segment of your market that is not as sensitive as others are. Recovery is really focused on becoming stabilized again and ultimately returning to a more normal state of business operations. Now, at the end of the day, it's always about trade-offs. Now, you can build redundancy in your system, but I'm going to tell you, redundancy is not free. It costs money. And think of it almost as an insurance premium. You're either willing to pay or you're not. The question is, from a shareholder and a business perspective, is it worthwhile to be able to make that investment today 
to avoid a catastrophic disruption in the future that may cost you way more than that insurance did. Interestingly enough today, a lot of MEP centers like mine are working with companies who diligently are bringing on new productive capacity or they are retooling existing capacity to provide alternate uh, onshore supply chains for critical industrial sector applications. We're seeing in the market today that companies are putting resiliency in those supply chains. The cost of having multiple suppliers, quite frankly, is more than a single high volume supplier, typically that we would find for industrial product these days, typically coming from an Asian source. So this kind of activity I think is encouraging and interestingly enough, I just saw the other day uh, the results of a survey that was taken with American citizens, 77% of whom said that they were willing to actually pay slightly more for a product if it meant that their supply would be better and more predictable than it is today. Unfortunately, the outcome of that is typically what we call inflation. So let's go to the next, next slide. And I want to introduce to you to the, the concept of what's called the demand bullwhip. The demand bullwhip was really initiated by the pandemic. Small changes in demand that are triggered by supply chain rumors, actual bottlenecks, and disruptions cause havoc in the fulfillment upstream. So in this case, the other thing that happens when that change occurs, where there, we think there's going to be a shortage. I mean, I can remember when the, uh, the uh, uh, COVID really began to hit, uh, you know, walking over the summer a couple of years ago, you know, who could find toilet paper, who could find anything in a uh, supermarket that was all driven, quite frankly, by hoarding that was being done by customers and also smart retails, retailers and wholesalers who saw an opportunity to make money uh, in the future by hoarding stock and supply. Unfortunately, when we get into this bullwhip effect, it can actually take up to four cycles or more to actually recover and get to a more sustainable and more predictable supply chain. So again, in not all cases is it just because of the supplier's inability to actually fulfill demand. In many cases, the demand has been uh, over, as uh, um, well over what the actual need is due to the behavior of hoarding, stocking, and putting up inventory, again, by the customer, the consumer, or the wholesaler. Next slide. So where, where are we today when we think about the costs of getting and continuing 
are supplied typically from overseas. Container costs landed in the Port of Los Angeles, and this is showing you data as of March of 2022. Look at what has happened to those costs. They have essentially almost tripled. And I can guarantee you that they're going to go up more because of what's going on in China right now due to their inability to handle appropriately the pandemic that is continuing to rage in Shanghai, other industrial cities, and now is moving into Beijing. So we go to the next slide. And by the way, somebody asked me, hey, can you share some good news? I unfortunately don't think there's a lot of good news to share because this is going to continue. The Chinese pandemic outbreak is really now causing another major disruption in manufactured goods. On the left, you see the number of ships that are waiting to load or discharge at Shanghai. And on the right, you see the number of days uh, that it's taking for a container as it just waits uh, you know, at the port to be unloaded. You know, wait times are up from say two days to eight days. But if you go to the next slide, let's visually look at how bad this is. This is a visual image of the Shanghai port late last week. Every one of those images that you see there is either a stationary or a moving ship that is trying to avoid collisions with other ships. There has never been this level of congestion in the Shanghai port. And right now, if you go to our ports, you will see that uh, the activity is very low in terms of uh, freight being offloaded. Think about what happens when this finally begins to break and starts to hit our ports again. It's not a good story. Next slide, please. Additionally, uh, as we look forward, disruptions in supplies from Russia are likely to have pretty significant implications for the chemicals, the construction, the transportation, and food sectors, not to mention steelmaking. So on the left, you see the source industries in Russia. On the right, you see the destination industries in the rest of the world. And, and so we're going to see impacts on equipment. We're going to see impacts in agriculture. Uh, we're going to see impacts in terms of food supply. That's predominantly coming from the Ukraine. Um, oil, gas, chemicals, energy, water, utilities, and construction. All right. So what can you do? Let's go to the next slide. I highly encourage you, if you have not done so already, to begin to put into your business, and this is whether you're a distributor, whether you're a sole source uh, entrepreneur, you know, whether you're a large business, 
Business continuity planning, which is inclusive of supply chain disruption, is a very, very important undertaking for your business. You go from an impact analysis to determining some recovery strategies, planning the development, and then testing whether or not those plans that you have put in place conceivably and potentially will work. So this gives you just an overview of how to go about that, planning for these disruptions, putting the mitigations in place, uh, and even buying risk insurance are essential in today's turbulent times. I wish I could give you a magic wand today, I can't, but if there's anything that I'd like you to take away from this, this is a time-proven process, and I encourage you to research it, look into it, and invest some time in preparing yourself to better handle today's disruptions, but more importantly, to be able to handle the disruptions that are coming in the next months and over the next year. And that was Bill Donahue with Gen Edge Alliance. Again, you can watch the entire webinar at wqa.org slash webinars. Now our motivational minute, following up on this week's topic of supply chain disruption. One of the key elements that often gets neglected during a crisis is communication. We often get so immersed into the crisis trying to solve the problem that we forget to fill everybody else in on what's going on what's being done to try to resolve the issue, and when the issue might be resolved. We don't have to have all the answers to communicate. Just saying that you're working on the issue can go a long way toward helping those on your team and others who need to know to stay connected and aware. And that's our Motivational Minute. And now our WQA tip. We know it's been tough to hire the workforce you need, especially for dealers. That's why we have our WQA Career Center, where you can post a job and look for that next wave of talent. With the WQA Career Center, you can get the same state-of-the-art services that you would get with commercial job boards and more. Plus, WQA is a member of the Engineering and Science Career Network, so your job posts reach a much wider audience. Go to wqa.org slash careers to get started. And remember, WQA member companies get a member discount. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at wqa.org and, of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at wqa.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio.